0: My big joke with finance to that is I, I generally, though, don't try and give advice on gap accounting rules, but maybe in my, my off time, I could do that. And, and then when a, when a finance person comes and tells me about a marketing activity, I could, I could come back and say, you know, I was I, great idea, but I also wanted to talk to you about this gap accounting rule that I think we might be able I to love it.
1: Welcome to the Marketing Report a podcast created for and by marketing professionals who seek to better understand their consumers and design unique, personalized experiences that stand out in today's market. In each episode, hosts from Verisk Marketing Solutions connect you to industry thought leaders, practitioners, and experts focused on improving B2C experiences through powerful data-driven insights about how we connect with our consumers and where we can partner together to do it better. This is The Marketing Report.
2: Hello, I'm Tim Finnegan, and welcome to The Marketing Report podcast. This is a great experience for me, The Marketing Report podcast, is because I get the opportunity to talk with thought leaders, marketing executives, subject matter experts, all about the latest trends in their specific industry or their experience or any just challenges they're facing. And today's guest has extensive experience, not only in marketing leadership, but brand strategy. She has led brand strategy at Schweppes, Dairy Farmers of America, Cerner, and she's currently the Senior Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer at Verisk. I would like to introduce everyone to Melissa Hendricks.
0: Hi everyone, how are you guys doing today?
2: Well, I'm doing great. I'm even, I'm so happy that you're on the podcast today. So Melissa, just for our listeners as CMO, like what, what are you most responsible for? Like what, what are you currently doing right now as CMO?
0: Well, thanks Tim. That's a great question. Um, Well, first let me tell you who Verisk is. We're a, a technology company that helps the insurance industry have the data to better price, underwrite and fight fraud in the industry. We also extend into other areas, including Tim's group, who does a lot of consumer insights for us from a business perspective. And in my current role as the chief marketing officer for Verisk, I'm responsible for what you would consider traditional marketing, more corporate communications and our customer experience functions.
2: Great. So Melissa, when you think of marketing, And you've probably got all this information coming at you, all this data that you can make decisions, but there's also the emotion side of marketing. Like how do do you manage through being data-driven versus the emotion side of it?
0: You know, I think anyone that's a marketer understands that as marketers, it's the juxtaposition between the art and the science and the two coming together. And sometimes... Individuals lean heavy in one area versus the other. As the CMO, I I tend to have aspects of my business that become more creative and then others that are more scientific. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about the data behind what we're doing and how do we actually demonstrate that the creativity we're bringing to market is actually achieving a quantitative outcome.
2: So, Melissa, when when you think of your team, how do you build a great marketing team? Like you just don't get, I mean, sometimes you get handed a great marketing team, but or either build it or how do you get them, you know, to level up as well?
0: You know, I think you have to have a, an organization that's curious. You have to spend the time teaching, training and connecting with individuals in all organizations and especially in marketing with the advent of new te- digital technologies. Our industry is changing rapidly and it's important to maintain the current set of skills that you have and also be prepared for the future. For me, as a marketing executive, I want to empower my team members to take charge of their careers and advocate for themselves, build relevant skill sets, and also be willing to retire those skills that may not be as necessary in the future. So I think giving everyone permission to be accountable to have the aptitude to learn and to have great attitudes that bring in that passion that curiosity is is how we'll be successful in the future and and it's easy to say it's much harder to live and so I think if you had my team members listening in on this they'd probably say hey I think the intent is always there but you know sometimes we we struggle with the ability to be able to do it today and to give everyone enough time, you know, the windshield can be formidable and you can lose sight of being able to think about building and coaching and developing yourself. So I always say it's a two, two legged race in the sense that the leaders actually have a huge responsibility, but the individual has to also be aligned with you and working with you on that.
2: So speaking of your team, I did do a little research on you and I spoke to one of your team members and she said one of the things that she likes or she most admires about you is your consistency. Could you just expand on sort of that consistency and, and, and your point of view on it?
0: Yeah. Gosh, consistency is probably core to who I am as a human, but also core to what I think makes for great marketing. If you think about it, you know, the premise of what a marketing and communications Function is for hasn't changed much since the auspices of marketing organizations. But if you went back to the 1970s, the 1980s, the 1990s, the tactics are entirely different than they are today. But the reason you were there hasn't changed. We're here to create a passionate love affair with our various brand. We're here to build perception, and we're here to help drive demand. So it's easy to be consistent. When you're always knowledgeable about why we exist.
2: So when you had mentioned brands, and and I'm interested, you you've sort of worked within four key areas. You you ran brand strategy for Schweppes. You ran brand strategy for Dairy Farmers of America, and then you've also done more of the, more of the B two B with Verisk and Cerner. What what are the difference between brand strategy with like something that I mean Schweppes is it's almost got like a personality to it versus Veris gets more B2B and and you know directed towards you know the insurance industry.
0: Yeah, well Tim you're too generous. When I was in at Carebury Schweppes, when I was at Dairy Farmers of America, I was in the consumer packaged goods marketing fields. And while I could appreciate that I had great experiences. I was working on some smaller brands I had a much lower and smaller remit, because I was earlier on in my career. But in those rules, I, as a consumer packaged goods marketer, I really got a much broader appreciation for the commercialization of the businesses that you're running. Because as a, as a marketer in that space, I was responsible for the P&L, the forecast, the marketing plan, the innovation pipeline. And so it gave me a very holistic view of what a marketing function and how marketing can drive brand awareness, perception, and outcomes. Um, and then about now, almost 20 years ago, not quite, I moved over to the B2B space in the technology field and have worked in both the healthcare now and insurance industries. And the role of marketing in B2B is it's slightly different because you're now partnering with product, you're partnering with sales, you're partnering with the business to drive the outcomes. And as a marketer, you're generally not responsible for the PL or the, the entire commercialization strategy. So for me, the, the ability to actually blend the two is probably where consistency was actually an, an aha moment for me, that even though these industries are vastly different, the expectations of the marketing function are different. The consistent need is to build that brand, to build that awareness, perception, and drive demand. So I, I think it's interesting to look at the two as different, but I also believe that it's less about what you're doing and more about why you're doing it that gives you the permission to actually have a really robust and, and full career.
2: Great answer. So, Melissa, I do. You had mentioned something about the B2B side of it and how you have to partner in your maybe not responsible for the p and I'm going to brag and tell you, I read a business book. It's one book that I read. It's called The Mastering the Matrix. So it's working within a matrix organization. I know you feel pretty strongly about, you know, matrix. So how do you see right, right now, it's maybe a little easier as CMO to say, Hey, this is my vision. I need this done. But it's sometimes it's not that easy when you're sort of mid-level manager or director to to getting things done, like talk through some maybe tic, uh, trips and, trips, tips and tricks on how you get things done in a matrix organization?
0: You know, it's it's a great question. And I'd be lying if I said I'd always figured it out. <laughs> Early in my career, I, I, I got to take a course called Crucial Conversations. And I would love to tell you that that actually helped me as well. I think as especially in what I would say the B2B space, more so maybe than I found in the others. The ability to be able to navigate the organization is critical as a complement to your actual marketing skill set. Because oftentimes, if you're great at marketing and you have a true vision for that, you're probably on the early adoption curve of, where some other business unit leaders may be, and, you know, maybe you're in front of where sales product and other spaces are, or thinking different, differently than they do. And, and in that scenario, really working with your, yourself, with your leaders to understand the culture of the organization, the ability to navigate the relationships and the conversation and, and sitting down. You asked or you mentioned that being a CMO makes it easier, and I would say 100% makes it easier. But I have a lot of compassion for those that are still in that mid-level career stage um, as they join new companies. It's really important, if not the most important thing beyond being really a subject matter expert in your field, is to being received as somebody that others want to work with, Mm want to work alongside, and enjoy being with. Doesn't mean that you have to be friends. It doesn't mean you have to socialize outside of work, but you have to really be respected and trusted inside of an organization to be able to achieve really fantastic outcomes. And I think that appeals and, and that applies to any role, whether you're in marketing, finance, or, or any other space.
2: Yeah, I agree. Especially with, the, you know, when we talk about matrix organizations, like, okay, how do I get something done? And I need to go across the aisle or to another team to say, oh, this is, this is, I need help. But it's also understanding what their goals are and how your project can impact theirs. So I don't think it's easy, but I think you're right. Is something that you can work at and, and get better for sure. Have you ever had this as a marketer, like finance or operations will come over to you and say hey this is how i think marketing should be run which is unfair because marketers we never go to finance and say hey this is how you should really count the numbers but i'm not gonna have you answer that
0: i I can't what i would say one is you know with everybody is a marketer because ultimately marketing is about appealing to the consumer and each one of us has an experience as a consumer, and we know what we like in our personal lives. we know what marketing activities have worked so oftentimes when folks come to me with ideas it 's based on real world experiences around what appealed to them, and so I actually embrace that to a certain extent and and, and leverage that. My big joke with finance to that is I, I generally though don 't try and give advice on gap accounting rules. But maybe in my my off time I could do that, and and then when a when a finance person comes and tells me about a marketing activity, I could I could come back and say, you know, I was a great idea, but I also wanted to talk to you about this gap accounting rule that I think
1: we might be able. I to love
2: change. it. I love it. And when you say everyone's a marketer, I, I I sort of say the same thing, but I say like everyone needs to be good in sales. So. I, I actually appreciate people with sales experience. And even if they're not a true seller, you still have to sell your ideas or market your ideas within the organization. Like, hey, I think this project is important. We should go for it. And you need to have that, that skill set. So for people listening, if you're in college, take some selling classes or, you know, try practicing.
0: Yeah, I, I always tell, and, and I'm a big fan, you know, when I was at high school and college, I, I waited tables. And the customer service aspect of it, the individual selling aspect of it, because, you know, as a waitress or a waiter, oftentimes you're upselling. Can I sell you a dessert? Can I upsell an appetizer or something like that? And then you're also balancing that multitasking. Generally speaking, you have multiple tables you're running. I think that's a really good life experience around how did it feel? What was the experience? You'll figure out when your clients have a great experience because they're navigating and engaging with you. And, and so I, I generally offer that to folks and say, Hey, that's a really good preamble to what corporate America will look like for you because you're really trying to hit on all cylinders.
2: So Melissa, when, when we, you know, we say marketing and I want to drill down and be a little more specific. What, How do you deal with incorporating personalization and getting more to that one-to-one when you're trying to market messages to, and it's even harder with B2B trying to market that message, but just touch on a little bit about how your, your point of view on personalization and segmentation and targeting.
0: You know, personalization, segmentation, and targeting really matter. And they matter more today than they did in the past. And one You've got to be cognizant, though, that with more personalization, the rules and regulations around that customization, that personalization. So, number one, I would say make sure you're up to date on GDPR and all of the other rules and requirements. But then secondarily, your technology infrastructure. I mean, a marketer's best friend is that technology partner that's helping you to build what you can envision. So what does the customer journey need to look like after they've visited the website and they come back a a second time? Is there an experience that we can begin to personalize and tailor that? How do we understand our customers when they come to our events so that we can talk to them about the problems they're facing with the solutions that we offer? So it's extremely important. Today, different than 25 years ago, the advent of so many technologies to help you with that personalization become really important to building success on top of what you know is a good business practice and enabling you to achieve the outcomes you're looking for that are tailored to the client.
2: So, Melissa, you mentioned a couple of things, technology partners and personalization. But what do you look for? like? Because I'm sure you get a a ton of technology vendors, partners reaching out to you or getting your email and sending you messages or direct mail. Like, what do you look for? It says, oh, you know, I should really talk to them.
0: You know, I think as everyone, I'm a a pretty good gatekeeper to myself and (laughs) and I keep most vendors and, and that type of thing at arm's length. But, you know, one of the things that... My marketing technology executive and I spend time thinking about, or what are the martechs that we're fully getting our utilization out of and where are we not getting our utilization? And, and how do we make sure that we're not overpurchasing or underutilizing our technologies? When vendors come to me with opportunities to help my team get more educated, when they come with opportunities to expand my knowledge on topics that are changing in the marketplace more frequently, that's probably going to get me much more stopping power than sending me a Starbucks gift card, than sending me a package in the mail with some high-end gifts. Because for me, the ability to have utility with those solutions will have more stickiness and more ROI than simply trying to appeal to my love of coffee, or my need for a new water bottle.
2: What's the craziest gift that has been sent to you?
0: So not at this company, my previous company, a professional soccer team in, the, in Europe sent me a jersey, wanted me to become a, a jersey sponsor, and sent me their jersey, and I'm back my last name.
2: <laughs> Did you keep it? Okay, I,
0: I, long, it. It. <laughs> I still have it, but it, I mean, because I didn't know what to do with it. So yeah, was, keep... that was kind of a crazy one where I brought it home. And at the time I had small kids, um, but it was literally, I won't say the teen's name, but I, I probably could dig it up somewhere in my house, but it is a, uh, a professional Jersey with my last name. But I would tell you that's probably an area where it wasn't even the company's name. It was my personal name. So they were trying to appeal to my own vanity and that really was a an interesting gift, but not one that gave me any pause to saying they don't really understand their target audience.
2: So Melissa, when you think of not just challenges that you're facing, what are what are what are what are some challenges that are facing all marketers as we go into the second half of this year going into twenty twenty four?
0: I think the problem that face that marketers face is similar to the problem we're all facing, and especially in a we a post-COVID world, where in COVID, we all kind of were able to focus on one thing. You know, we were focusing on work and you could reach anyone at any point in time because we we're all at home. And today, I think the advent and the explosion of new technologies, the email, the business needs that are coming in, it, it can be really difficult, I mentioned this earlier, to manage the windshield. And You can spend your time managing a windshield and not really getting your job done. So I I think for us as marketers, it's a challenge that most folks in the business face, which is, do we have clear goals and objectives? Is it a manageable number of goals and objectives? And are we holding ourselves accountable to getting outcomes across those activities?
2: And do you have any cool tools or technologies you're using to manage those? Or is it like, what's the best way?
0: Oh, you know, I'll say, you know, we use project management software. We use, you know, agile sprints in the technology space to get things done. I will tell you, and if anyone meets you and talks about me a little bit, and I'll date myself here, that Excel is my love language. And, you know, oftentimes while we can over, you know, you can get dashboards, you can get it simplified and phased up. Sometimes personally spending time in the data and churning through it gives me, even though it may feel counterproductive, that investment in the in the churn of the data initially gives me the confidence to move much more quickly and make decisions. So I spend time thinking about workforce allocation in in that environment and with Excel on occasion. So um I, I think I think Gen AI. I was talking to somebody the other day who was saying, "Hey, Gen AI is going to to kill some of those the spreadsheet management tools and technologies," and, and I will uh, cry a, a a tear or two or shed a tear or two if that were ever to
2: happen. So you have mentioned AI. What besides AI? And you can you can expand on a little if you want to. But what are either industry leaders you know what, what what are executives paying attention to right now like what what do they need to say oh we 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 need to have an answer for that
0: yeah i mean i think the world today to your point gen ai is is taking over the vernacular and preparing ourselves for that but gen ai is just a new technology and tool that's coming into the marketplace and so you know for us as marketers being less focused on what it is and just focused on it's always going to be something and how do we begin to creating mindset that's ready to embrace and to leverage the new activity or technology that's coming you know um, for us you know chat gpt and, and the gen ai and dolly and Bard are all exciting technologies and i encourage my marketers to go out and explore with that in their personal lives and think about how does it actually help you figure out if it's working in certain ways and how we might be able to leverage it to especially reduce the 40% of our jobs that everyone would tell you if I never had to do that again, it wouldn't be soon enough. All right, great. If we really dislike doing something, how can we use new technologies and tools to simplify it, maybe automate it and reduce that so we can spend more of our time creative thinking.
2: So to that point of spending more time with creative thinking, what are some key skills and knowledge areas that you see that are going to drive marketing forward? So maybe If you could say, hey, to to people out there, like, hey, this is the type of skill you need, or you need to go back to school and get your MBA to study this, or even college kids, like, hey, this is what you should be looking at. So you can be that more, you know, valuable going into your next job.
0: Depending on what you want to do in marketing, you know, there are roles that are fairly concrete. So if you want to go into the design field, there's lots of great fun, exciting, dynamic roles with tremendous amount of career advancement. If you want to, there'll be somebody like myself, who is a chief marketing officer in the future. Uh, one, I don't think a lot of people when they graduate from college have that on their wish list. You know, that, that's just generally, if, if I talk to most marketers, many of us have engineering degrees or other degrees that wouldn't have anything to do with marketing. And, and the reason I share that is I think of marketing as an integrated skill set. And you're better when you're well-rounded. I do recommend an MBA. I have an MBA. I got it at night um, primarily because my undergraduate degrees were arts degrees. So I left college without taking science degrees in, or finance degrees and accounting degrees. Having done that when I, my MBA, some of my favorite courses were actually my accounting courses. And and I was actually a little bit sad. I hadn't taken some in in my undergrad, but I think having the the well-rounded skill set is important. You really, as a marketer, have to be knowledgeable and skilled as a utility player in a lot of areas, unless, as I mentioned earlier, you go down a path like creativity and design which is really a art skill set, and then i just say, really, really hone that that creativity and that skill set.
2: Well, Melissa, I want to thank you for joining the podcast, and I will see you at Via Customer Insights conference we're having in Chicago. So let's enjoy the conference together.
0: Oh, so, I'm looking forward to
2: it. Thanks, Melissa. I do appreciate, and if everyone wants to reach out to you, they can find you on LinkedIn. They yes. can go to the Verisk website and reach out if they want more information. But thanks again, Melissa.
0: Thank you so much, Tim. It's been great talking with you. Have a great day.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of The Marketing Report. This show is brought to you by Verisk Marketing Solutions, an organization created to help CMOs and their partners improve the reach, timing, relevance, and compliance of every consumer engagement. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe to The Marketing Report wherever you get your podcasts, and check out the show notes for more information.